When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your questions about inviting via email, the cousin-slash-roommate who won't move out, expectations around giving money, offering a kid's option at your next dinner party, and how to handle an inappropriate gift. All that, plus your feedback, a postscript segment on texting familiarity in our lives, and a special etiquette salute coming up awesome etiquette comes to you from the studios of vermont public radio and is proud to be produced in vermont by the emily post institute i'm lizzie post and i'm dan post senning happy new year indeed happy new year Year. welcome to 2017 (laughs) okay so 17 is my lucky number so i'm i'm not claiming that this will be a lucky year but i'm just excited when when a number you love shows up on the calendar or something that always is like Learn something Sorry, new every day. Seventeen like, is cousin Lizzie Post. Lucky number. Fact. Like I love the number seventeen. I don't know what it is about it. I started writing 2017 on proposals earlier this month, <laughs> and I I wrestled with it for a minute, but I'm I'm ready to embrace it. I'm <laughs> I'm, right. I'm in. I'm I'm in a thousand percent. Nice, <laughs> nice. This is a, a new year. It's a new show. We are independent. We are transitioning, and we want to help you all through that transition. Absolutely. Oftentimes, we start the show with a, an introduction, a little friendly uh, <laughs> chit-chat banter back and forth. Um, Where's Liz- the etiquette in your life? <laughs> Lizzie and I sometimes take this moment just to catch up if we haven't seen each other in a few days or a week. Yeah. And um, today, we want to catch up with all of you because this is a time of transitions both into the new year but also for the Awesome Etiquette Show. For those of you that have listened the last couple of weeks, you know that we are taking the show independent after a a long and fruitful and excellent relationship with American Public Media. Emily Post Institute is taking over producing the Awesome Etiquette podcast. And that does mean (laughs) that there is going to be a bit of a transition, a, a, a big transition for us and a small transition for all of you, our dedicated audience and participants and partners in making this show happen. Yes, and while we will be producing independently, we will also be distributing independently. And that is where my amazing cousin Daniel has done so much hard work. Um, And that's part of the transition we want to talk about. We want to get into the logistics of how this works and make sure that you feel like you know exactly what to do and where to go and what to look for. Dan, help them out. (laughs) In the spirit of being good hosts, we really want to invite you, our partners in this show, to find us in the place where we're going to be continuing to distribute the show. And the good news is that it's going to be in all the same places you're used to finding this show. If you're used to getting this show on iTunes, you're going to continue to find this show on iTunes. If you're used to finding it on TuneIn Radio or Stitcher, you will continue to find us on TuneIn and Stitcher. And as the year goes on, we will continue to put ourselves up on more and more podcast platforms and applications. But right now, the big three that we have been on before and we will continue to be available on are iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. Here's the slightly tricky part. You might need to find a new feed. The Awesome Etiquette Show will not be available through the same provider that it's been available through before. It will be under the same name. So you can search for Awesome Etiquette on any of those podcast apps or channels. You are going to look for a new graphic. For those of you that are used to seeing a little purple tile or graphic associated with the show with a picture of Lizzie and me, now you're going to be looking for a a teal green logo with cream talk bubbles and our name, Awesome Etiquette, quite bold across (laughs) the top. So if you see two 
Awesome Etiquette shows on your app. The old show is the purple logo and the new show is the green or teal logo. You will also know that you have found the new home for the show because there will be a little prequel show that we will place on the new channel. You will see the first full-length episode on the new channel the week of January 9th, so the second week of January. And until then, you're just going to see a little short show that's just going to let you know you've found the new channel, (laughs) you've found the right place, and uh, it'll be Lizzie and I welcoming you to the new home for Awesome Etiquette. Over the rest of the month of January, the rest of the Awesome Etiquette archive will continue to populate into that space. So you will both be able to find the archive of shows that you know and love, as well as new shows on a weekly basis moving forward. If at any point along the way you have any questions that that pop up or if you're having a hard time finding the new show or figuring out if you're looking at the old show or the new show, you can always visit emilypost.com. We're going to put up links and information about the new show feed and where to find us on the homepage. You can also type awesomeetiquette.com into your browser. That will take you to a page that will also show you where to find the new show. We also encourage you to take a look on Facebook. Search for Awesome Etiquette. There is a show page there that will have information up about the new show, where to find it. We will even post episodes of the new show (laughs) on Facebook if you prefer. You can listen to the show there or on Twitter. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And we're also at the Emily Post Inst on Facebook. So you can find information about the new Awesome Etiquette podcast channels there as well. A final thing, <laughs> and I know this is a lot of information, but it I, I want to provide as many possible ways yeah. for you to find us in our new home as possible, that we know that this type of transition can be difficult for, for those of you who had someone else maybe help you set up your podcast app or channel for those of you who um, found us and and haven't even thought about how it is exactly that you continue to get this show and it just shows up automatically. We recognize that there's going to be a little bit of an effort to achieve that same comfort and stability one more time. And we really thank you for making this leap with us. The other thing that we would ask you, our dedicated audience, to do is tell a friend that as you make this transition, if you are reminded that it is it is worth following awesome etiquette to its new home, that it might be worth a friend or a family member knowing about as well. And we certainly appreciate your sharing the news about this show and our excitement about how it is that we're going to be taking it forward. And we've got a lot coming in this coming year. And oh, we yes, just we do. <laughs> can't wait to share it with you and to, um, to continue this great relationship. So thank you so much. And remember, just search for Awesome Etiquette in your favorite podcast app and look for that new teal label and you should be all set. With all of those wonderful instructions in place, how about we get to some of our listener questions? Let's do it. My name is Avery Gallison, and I worked on the Awesome Etiquette podcast um, as the digital campaign manager. So when um, our lovely sponsors had messages that Dan and Lizzie would talk about, I'd make sure everything went smoothly. And I not only worked on the show, but I was a huge fan, and I still am. Um, I often went to the podcast for my own personal etiquette advice, um, knowing that was the place to turn. And I reached out to Lizzie even with some personal etiquette questions, and I'm eternally grateful for the invaluable advice she gave me. I just wish you all the best in your new adventure as an independent podcast, and I'll be listening. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. 
What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. And do be on the lookout. We are going to have a new phone number for you very soon. But for now, please continue to reach us at 802-866-0860. Our first question today is called The One Where Eddie Won't Move Out. So fans of Friends, the the 90s TV show, will love that title. Um, I particularly loved that title. (laughs) Um, I've I've always said that anything uh, Seinfeld, Friends... Curb Your Enthusiasm, these are all shows that are totally based on etiquette scenarios. They're situational comedies that almost all focus on some form of etiquette, and I loved that our listener clued into that. So the question begins. Hello, Awesome Etiquette team. I love your podcast. I always feared that etiquette was a dying art and find Awesome Etiquette was like coming home to my people. Too much? Question mark. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) I have a roommate quandary. Four months ago, my cousin found herself needing a new apartment when I found myself needing a new roommate. We're the same age and have always been pretty close, so we thought this was a great idea. Spoiler alert, it was a bad idea. It's a long story, but basically we were facing eviction due to damage caused by my cousin's dog. She was able to take the dog to her mom so I could stay and she could take some time to save and look for a new place. I was relieved about this because I didn't enjoy living with her for all of the usual reasons that you don't enjoy living with someone. For months, she's been saying she was going to move out in late January and I should find someone. Well, now I have and I need a date on the calendar, but late January is now February-ish. She is one of those people that when she faces consequences, she can't always see how her actions put her in that particular position. She then holds a grudge and gets her sister on board. I'm afraid that if I express how anxious and upset the situation has been for me and that I need her to commit to a date, it will effectively end our friendship. On the other hand, if I let her do this at her own pace and I end up being left holding the bag, I fear I will resent her in such a huge way that we end up not being friends anymore anyway. What is some phrasing I could use that essentially says, I don't want to pressure you or jeopardize our friendship, but you can't live here anymore. Any advice on this is so appreciated. Sincerely, Shelby. Oh, Shelby. Well, I'll say that I also love the Friends <laughs> reference. I was I was not as big a fan of the show as my cousin, but um, certainly recognize its iconic nature. And I um, couldn't agree more about how situational comedy oftentimes works because it, it trades in that territory that listeners to this show find so delicious that it's relatable that subtle social territory where we're negotiating relationships and as you point out this is a particularly tricky situation because um, these relationships are important they involve family as well as friends yeah and, high stakes high stakes here um, while, while we get to choose our friends we don't necessarily get to choose our family and they are relationships that have real significance and they require that extra care I appreciate how you noted at the start of your question that sometimes good friends don't always make the best roommates. And it's something that we hear not infrequently that people want to be really careful about who they choose to live with because that is oftentimes challenging. And 
sometimes a, a relationship will go through a transformation or a metamorphosis when people start living together because they have to negotiate those relationships in a much more close and personal way than they're used to. That can also result in some challenges, some difficulty. So how do you handle those things, particularly once that relationship has started to break down a little bit where um, there's been an incident where someone's dog, someone's behavior, something that one person is responsible for has resulted in uh, a bad situation and it's time to dissolve or separate that, that living relationship. But you're trying to maintain at the same time that broader family relationship. And I think that in the way you've asked your question, I can sense an awareness of those two competing issues and finding that middle territory and navigating it well depends on understanding where and how you're operating. I think that I, I, I see that you understand that well. So it's time for a clear conversation. <laughs> it's time to talk with this person. And you've done the first thing that I would suggest, which is set a deadline that oftentimes uh, it can be difficult to make a decision or make a move. And sometimes one of the most helpful things to making a decision or or achieving something is to set a deadline, to set some commitments that everybody can agree to. And it sounds like you've passed one of those deadlines already. So my suggestion is that when it comes time to set the next deadline, that you ask for everyone's buy-in, that you have that discussion again, and you have that discussion about what's reasonable, what's a reasonable time frame, what's a reasonable expectation, that you think it's important that this happen. You can get into the reasons why you think it's important or not to the extent that is appropriate for that conversation. But the point that you're going to try to drive to in that conversation is an agreed commitment to a reasonable end date. For the two of you living together. And if you can get everybody involved to buy in, to articulate that they think that's a good move and that's a good time, then you have a framework for continuing that discussion up until that deadline, that that isn't the end of the discussion. That's in many ways the beginning of the discussion because it's going to be a transition theme of the show, transitions. <laughs> These things don't happen all in a moment, but they happen over time. And I think getting that that, uh, that co-commitment is a good way to initiate and begin that discussion. I would say that one of the other things I would really think of when I'm thinking of dealing with this is you've definitely got some emotional reasons for being upset. This has been a frustrating situation. Your roommate, your cousin is not that great at taking ownership of problems. So there is this kind of emotional buildup that I would be really tempted to express and let someone else know, hey, this is how it's been for me. I'm going to suggest that you avoid that at all costs. Stick to the facts um, and keep them positive. Hey, great news. I found a new roommate. Let's talk move out dates. Ooh. I love Dan's idea of inviting. At the same time, I would also encourage to Run with what you've already been told. You know, say, okay, I know we talked late late January. I've heard you might need early February. Let's nail it down somewhere within a one-week window because I need to be able to let the next person moving in know exactly when to move in. I have to be fair to both of you. And I think it's good to remind without saying, this is how I'm going to be fair to both of you. It's saying, you know, I need to, so I want you to know I'm thinking of you. But also, we have a reality here that there's now a third person involved. And keeping things on that level of, of what's real and what's actually happening is very, I think, helpful in situations like these. Because it doesn't come to, well, it's your own darn fault you haven't found a place yet. You know, or, well, it's your own darn fault that your dog got you kicked out of here. Like, it's, we're not blaming. We're trying to get, what do you actually need out of this? You need your cousin to move out. So focus on that and focus on facilitating that in the most positive way possible. Because you are also now dealing with a third party. And you don't want to lose out on that third party's rent or that third party's commitment and I think Dan is being really fair by saying, you know, come up with that date together, invite them to participate in it. But don't be afraid to set boundaries, too. I'm really sorry. Mid-February is not going to work. We're going to need to find something sooner than that. Maybe your mom's is an option until then. Or maybe we can get your room cleared out and all your stuff to your mom's and then we can set up the couch for you for this amount of time. Really be clear about times and be specific. 
I, I definitely hear the sample script starting to develop there. <laughs> I, I like how you continue to acknowledge the deadline that's passed because yeah. part of this situation is accountability to what has happened yeah. already. Or what's about to happen because I think it's late January, right? The, yeah. Yeah. And the, the way I would broaden that that idea just a little bit is because we don't know whose name is on the lease. There's all kinds oh of complicating gosh, factors things. here. Yeah. And if... If you're really dealing with a situation where there's a roommate who won't move out and sometimes they won't move out by refusing to take the action that would make it possible to move out, you might need to figure out what your bottom lines are in this situation also. But what does it take for you to move out if you're both on the lease and the other person won't leave it? If you can't set a deadline that they will agree to and follow, what would your next recourse be? Oftentimes, uh, a good way to stay emotionally grounded when having a difficult conversation is to know what your recourse is, to know what your bottom line is. What would be the worst case? What if the relationship completely deteriorates and devolves <laughs> into fights and hysterics and despite your best effort not to engage, you're not dealing with a reasonable partner anymore? Well, have you looked for a new apartment? What would it take? And yeah. sometimes even just knowing that, having that bottom line in your mind doesn't mean that it's going to be the course of action that right. you take. But if you're aware that it's there, it lets you negotiate from a place of good faith and a place that's realistic about about everybody's rights and privileges within the situation. Well, and just simply knowing that there's another option beyond what you're talking about that might be difficult or not going the way you want it to frees up, like Dan's saying, so much of that emotional space for you to operate within comfortably. I think one other thing to note, and we've brought this up recently on the show before, and that's the idea that some people aren't emotionally good at endings. I have had roommates move out where it was amicable. We were excited about the next steps we were each taking. And lo and behold, something weird happens, you know, like they take something that's not theirs or they all of a sudden throw a fight on the way out the door. And it's funny, but some people don't know how to have an amicable ending. And it's almost like they feel an ending has to have some kind of drama or high stakes moment or closing finality to it. And it's it's interesting how that comes out. And just based on all the different things that your cousin is going to face in transitioning out of this place, it might be worth knowing she just might not handle any form of an ending well. Give that space and time and patience. I mean, don't take crud onto yourself. You know, don't don't take bad things on, but give yourself the time and space and patience and know that you can talk to her, that you can always tell her, I want to be an open ear. I want to be a shoulder to lean on. I want to, us to maintain our friendship. And I know that can be awkward when we're not going to be living together anymore. So let's make sure we do coffee once a week to hear how each other's doing or I'll be sure to check up with you or catch up with you or something. Have in place a few of those. Listen, yeah, this living situation is transitioning, but our friendship and our cousinship isn't transitioning. That might be a good way to, to think about it, too, because people just don't do well with endings, man. I, I love that advice that you're you're suggesting Maybe guide the person through the way to end it well. <laughs> Give them very explicitly the ways and the options, what the relationship might look like as a good relationship moving forward. I think that is um, really sound advice and could be really helpful in helping someone figure out a good way to end a particular part of a relationship and still maintain another part. Shelby, we truly hope that this is helpful and that you're able to find a way to talk with your cousin and set the boundaries that you need to set to maintain your friendship and family relationship as this living situation ends. Our next question is titled, Cater to the Child. I really like this question, by the way. We have invited our friends and their two-and-a-half-year-old for dinner. I would like to make a traditional French dish for the holidays. Now, I know from experience, children do not usually like this dish. My mother would make us children chicken fingers in lieu of the dish when it was served at Christmas. My question is, should I be expected to make a child-friendly dish for my guest's child? Or is it the parent's responsibility to bring food that their child will eat? Happy Holidays, Anonymous, Alberta, Canada. Hi, Anonymous in Alberta, Canada. Thank you for the very etiquette question. I really appreciate you thinking about your hosting duties in this situation. And I'm going to just go out there and say, you know, I think this is going to fall into your hosting duties. You're, this is one of your guests. is a 
2.5 year old, a little two and a half year old, and <laughs> they're going to have special needs. And um, I, I, I particularly like the way you're empathizing with this small child. You're thinking about your childhood and your experience with this particular dish, and uh, even the option that your mother decided to exercise to help you through this uh, situation. So. How expected it is that the parents as your guests might not be expecting this of you as a host. But this is one of those situations where I think good etiquette lets you as a host expect this of yourself as a host, that you're going to put their comfort and ease at the highest priority for you. And you might offer the parents that you would like to make a little something that, you know, sometimes kids don't like this particular meal. And you remember chicken fingers being a nice alternative for you. Would that work for their kids? They might say, oh, no, no. You know, they eat this. We'll bring it. Um, the host guest dance begins. <laughs> but they also might say, no, they really they're, they're not so into chicken fingers either. Fried foods are tough for them. You know, really just some soft vegetables are going to be fine. And <laughs> again, the host de- the host guest dance begins. I think that what's kind of interesting about this one is somebody might say, well, wait a second. But you always tell us that when allergies and food restrictions are an issue, that the guest should bring it up. And then the host guest dance follows and the host can decide if they make it. But here you're saying, or at least I've been saying when I wrote the the show notes, that, um, you know, hey, it's really a good thing to provide for the child. The difference here is that you're inviting the child as a guest. You've, you've, You've set this question up as you're inviting the child as a guest. I think you, knowing what you're going to serve with all of your background that you have, you're in such a good position to already know that this may or may not be an issue. You just have to actually ask. It might turn out that this kid loves this fish dish, and it's like, you know, they're to- some little kids have really surprising um, palates. Thank you. I was looking for the word. <laughs> um, have really surprising palates. So it's always good to ask just in case, because that might save you from making the extra dish. But you've intentionally invited this child. I think it's really good that you know it might not be. When someone invites my father and they know he has an allergy, they know to either ask about the allergy again to remind themselves or they know he just won't participate in the dish. But they know because they know this guest they're inviting. You know this guest might not like the dish. So it's really, really great host etiquette to offer to provide something they will like. I really like that perspective, that it's this is one of those cases where you're doing the host guest dance a little bit with yourself before the guest arrives. (laughs) So because you've engaged in that way, you're going to turn on your best self. Etiquette is always the most powerful tool when used as a tool for self-assessment. If it was the parents of this child asking the question, I would give them different advice. I would tell them to call the host and to offer to do what they could to help provide for a good meal for their child. So (laughs) your mom sounds both smart and awesome. And we really appreciate uh, your memory of her taking care of you and hope that you will be able to take as good care of your guests moving forward. Our next question is titled emailed invite expectations. And again, I love this question. Regarding emailed invitations, if an invitation to a family or couple is emailed, must it be sent to the email address of each spouse living in the same place? I sent an email invitation for a mini family reunion stating four generations to the blood relative in the umbrella family. I was told I was wrong, that I needed to send the invitation to each adult, even if they were married to each other. I maintain that a snail-mailed invitation is not sent in duplicate to a home, nor is a phoned invitation connected to each spouse individually. What is modern? Correct etiquette with emails. Roberta Sears. Roberta, I think this is a fabulous question because it is modern etiquette. I mean, it's really, really great. I think Roberta did nothing wrong. I think sending it to your point person in the family I agree. is the way to go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I think that that person might be different in different branches of the family. I know, for instance, that I could text or email either your brother or his wife and be totally confident that I'd either texted or emailed both of them or got to just one of them and I know it would be okay between them. However, we have cousins who the blood relative might not be the one who checks their... Dan's like raising his hair. She's talking about me. She's talking about me. The blood rel... I I might be better off reaching Pooja, although you and I are in a little different circumstances because I see you every day at the office, but pick the person that you know is the right person to coordinate with. 
if you don't know, I do think sending it to both is a good idea. But typically, you are going to send to the blood relative and have them connect with the rest of the family. Hey, my family's looking to do this. Honey, what's our schedule like? How should we respond? You absolutely could include both spouses just because you send a written invitation to the family of or to Mr. and Mr. You you don't send separate invitations to the spouses at the same household, but you would include both names on the envelope, I bet. Mm -hmm. Or you'd say to the post family or Mm -hmm. something like that. So little nuances in here might make you argue both cases. Um, But my vote is always send to both of you if you don't know. Send to the one you know is the better organizer communicator if you do know. I, I love that language of to the point person. The point person. It's, it's the point person. It's so often true in a relationship yeah. or in a family that there is someone who's maybe coordinating socially. And oftentimes that's the person you're most immediately connected to. Sometimes it's not. And I it was everything I could do not to interrupt you to say. <laughs> you, and, of course, Pooja would be the better person to contact because she's better with social correspondence than I am yes. often. Yes. Um, so <laughs> y- you would know to send that to her. You're more likely to get that RSVP in a more timely manner or fashion. Guilty yeah. confession here on air. Um, <laughs> I also really agree with the thinking that there has to be a certain amount of flexibility. This, yeah. is new, this is new etiquette territory. And in the same way that snail mail does allow for the address on the outside and then also a naming of recipients for that invitation on the inside that you might think of a creative way to do that with email. Also, the cost is so low of sending an email know. that to add one more name to the list, if there's any question in your mind or if you're dealing with someone like our questioner might who would prefer that everybody get it. It's so easy. Why not just add those extra names and get it to everybody? The the heart of good etiquette being practicality and also good communication. Ultimately, you want this communication to be in the service of relationships and anything that's going to make those relationships run more smoothly, function better, is going to be the good etiquette in this situation. Your, your, your concept of the point person does that. It actually makes things work well, which makes it good etiquette. And just because you know the point person or maybe you only have the point person person's email, that one person's email. Remember, too, that in the body of the email, you can include the other family members. People do that all the time in emails and say, you know, Janet, I didn't have your email, but of course this is to you and the kids as well. And just that way of reaching out. You can do it in so many ways. There's no reason not to. Roberta, we hope that that helps and we hope that the next round of planning goes absolutely swimmingly for you and your family. Our next question has to do with regretting gifts. Maybe. Dear Lizzie and Dan, first off, thank you for your amazing podcast. As someone who grew up with no one teaching me proper manners and etiquette, I've had to learn on my own over the years, and your podcast has helped me greatly in expediting the learning process. For this, I am eternally grateful. Now, on to my dilemma. A very close friend of mine recently broke down in front of me because of the financial hardship she was in. Later that night, after talking it over with my husband, I felt compelled and financially stable enough to send her a substantial amount of money, assuming that it was going to go towards the many bills that she had mentioned during our conversation. Upon receiving the money, she was so grateful and told me that she would now be able to visit her mom for the holidays. I felt glad for this, but again thought, okay, but the rest will go towards bills. Then, a few days later, she told me all about the Christmas gifts she purchased for all of her family members, including their significant others. She did note the cost, $15 budget per person. I'm assuming it was to show that she was being budget-minded, but I still left the conversation feeling a bit shocked and confused. I really want to talk to her about my concern, but I'm afraid that it might come off as me shaming her for buying gifts. Is this something I should even bring up, or should I just let it go because it is now her money to do with what she wants? Please help, giving and hopefully not regretting. Oh, giving and hopefully not regretting. That is such a tough position. A couple things that might help ease your worry before we even address how to maybe handle that worry is you might have done just what you needed to do. Maybe your friend was now able to use her own money to pay the bills. And this money really allowed her to be able to do these other things she had wanted to do, which is why she was so upset that she had to put all of her money towards bills. At the end of the day, she's got bills to pay and gifts to buy. And if you've helped her in being successful in that, maybe that is the big takeaway 
that you were successful in that. And your friend did get to do some things that maybe really needed to recharge her emotionally and make her feel okay, I'm here, I could participate, I could do all these things. And clearly she feels great about it because she's telling you about what she did with the money and she's thinking this is really great and I'm so grateful to my friend. So that might be a way of of thinking about it. My instinct is to chalk this one up to... In the future, if I choose to give money to this friend, I'm going to be really specific about how I do it. I'm going to ask to pay the bills if that's what I want the money to go to. Um, I agree that you don't want to shame your friend for buying gifts for her family. You didn't put stipulations or expectations on how this money was to be spent. Clearly, you had thought about having it be towards the bills that she was so upset about. But that didn't get communicated somehow. And she chose to use the money and tell you she's using it this way. So I'm thinking you might just say, "Okay, note for future. If I do this again, I want to do it in X, Y, Z ways so that I can feel really confident about what I contributed to. But my hope is that you can look at the bigger picture of clearly you were able to give your friend an amazing holiday that she would not have been able to do otherwise. And that was so generous of you. Don't lose sight of that wonderful generosity that you've allowed your friend to have a good season with. I I really like keeping the focus there. We've already talked on this show about good conversation, having multiple tiers, and that the the second tier of conversation, difficult conversations, are often about religion, politics, dating, or your love life. The third tier, the most difficult conversations to have are ones about uh, family and finances. FF is the mnemonic. And whenever you're talking about money or people's familial relationships, you start to get into really personal, really potentially touchy territory. And this is a big financial discussion. And you're talking now about someone's decisions about how to spend money they were given in relation to their family, gifts that they... So now you're you're, you're weaving together <laughs> financial decisions and, and family, family decisions. Oh my and you're, you're tempted to, 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 to comment on that for very natural and normal reasons that this financial gift was really intended to improve someone's material conditions and situation at the same time as Lizzie points out you just don't know how much someone's material conditions are affected by their ability to participate or not in family or holiday traditions that that, that can for some people's mental and psychological health and stability be as big a deal as paying their bills and you just don't know. And it's really, really potentially fraught territory. I, I like the idea of chalking this up as a learning experience that because there wasn't a discussion that preceded the gift about how the gift would be used, that reminding yourself that it's really not not your place, not up to you to have a lot of, of, of opinion or speculation or feeling about how that was used and in some ways to, to think of your friend's decision to share with you what they did with the money as them being really responsible and feeling responsible to, to share with you about how it was used. Yeah. And in many ways, is an example of a very open communication and good etiquette on their part. Absolutely. And also remembering things you don't know. You never know how much someone is actually telling you. You just don't know how how bad were those bills? Do you, Did she give you actual number? I mean, like, to some degree, there's a lot that we don't actually know. You don't know how much someone is really revealing to you. And clearly, I think what what wasn't really revealed to you when your friend was talking about her bills was how much the bill worry was impacting what she wanted to do for the holidays for her family. And maybe if that had been more a part of the conversation, you would have said, I want you to have a good holiday with your family. And then the money would have been spent in this way and you would have known. I mean, you just there are a lot of unknowns here. And sometimes remembering the unknown makes what you do know a little less painful, like a little less of a of like, oh, that's not what I was thinking that was for. <laughs> I see the heart of really good etiquette and your desire not to shame your friend. And I think holding on to that perspective is is the heart of good etiquette in this particular situation that um, ultimately you want to keep this act of generosity an act of generosity and not one of judgment. And I think leaving it in that territory is really the best place for you to leave the situation. We hope that that helps and that in the future you feel good about helping friends out when you decide to do it. And we also hope that this helps you feel a little less regretful about this particular instance or situation. 
you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, and salutes. We want to hear from you. We want to keep this show alive and going and yours. So please reach out to us at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave a voicemail for us at 802-866-0860 or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question, comment, or salute on the show. Hey, Lizzie and Dan, it's Stu Newman. Um, I've been the digital producer for about 100 episodes of Awesome Etiquette, and I just wanted to say that it's been an absolute pleasure working with both of you, and I would also like to wish Lizzie's New Orleans Saints good luck as they uh, try to get into the wild card spot in the NFL playoffs, unless that means my Minnesota Vikings don't get in, in which case I just hope everyone plays hard and tries their best. Thanks again for letting me be a part of the show, guys. Being agreeable, saying and doing things in a pleasant way, that's easy enough. And it does make a difference all day long. This show has always been a two-way street. We share our etiquette advice and you let us know how it's working in your world or whether you have something to add. In other words, it's time for some listener feedback, and our producer, Chris Roberts, will join us one more time to give us the lowdown. Chris, how are you? I am very well. How are you, Lizzie and Dan? Hello. (laughs) We are well. We are well. There's actually about to be a snowstorm here in Vermont, so we're excited. Well, I know how you feel about snow, so that's good news. (laughs) Well, listen, you guys, if you're wondering what happened to the listener who wrote in with a question about how her plans for a vegan wedding were creating tension with her mom, you remember that one? Oh, yes. She, uh, her mom actually wanted to have a carving station at the reception dinner as well for all the meat eater guests. Well, we heard from Diana, that's her name, and Diana had a good report. I shared your answer with my mom, Diana writes, and she agreed that her number one worry was that people would find the menu bland. She also agreed that so long as we can find dishes that are satisfying and tasty, we do not need to have a carving station. Thank you again for your input and well wishes. We are very excited, Diana. Wow, that's that's great news, and uh, so you you fantastic. should feel gratified by that. That's so fantastic! I love that it came. It, it's like you find out the kind of real concerns, and then you can deal with them. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, and I have to say, you, you folks, I sometimes <laughs> lie awake at night and think <laughs> about all the families and relationships that you have helped preserve. Uh, on this show, it's pretty amazing. An amazing feat. Kudos. You are too kind. Too kind. <laughs> we got great follow-up advice from our listener, Ilana, on regifting and how or what to order at a business luncheon. Ilana says, if you know the restaurant you're going to, check online for their menu and maybe decide in advance what you might order. Or you can call in advance if you have dietary restrictions, which is good advice. Very as, solid. As for regifting, Ilana thought of Dan and his impending parenthood and writes, I received a gift at my baby shower that was so impractical, a white snowsuit that was adorable but would easily show every spill and was very complicated to get a baby in and out of. It was given by a friend who had no kids and no experience bundling them up to go out. I called her after the shower and said that it was so cute, but I was worried about the fit for the baby. I suggested that we go out to lunch and then go back to the store and shop together for something in exchange. Instead of being a rejection of the gift, it became a girl's afternoon out and a mini shopping trip. She was so happy about the plan, and I didn't feel like I was sneaking behind her to exchange it. I continue to love the show. Keep up the good work, says Ilana. Alana, thank you so much. That is great news. And I love the idea. Why not take that gift exchange and turn it into relationship building? That's brilliant. We have always had trouble dealing with the gift exchange idea. I even have a gift I need to exchange this holiday. And I'm like, oh, how do I let her know it wasn't quite the right thing? This is a struggle. I love that idea. That is so fantastic. Not everyone's going to want to go with you to exchange a gift. But 
Some people might. And what a way to personalize a gift. What a way to make it into an experience and to, to grow a relationship. And I, I can appreciate having been through a couple of showers. There are certain gifts that are very popular and they <laughs> sometimes tend to show up more than once. And there is certainly a, a, an exchange process that's often part of those shower experiences. So thank you for that very practical advice. I found that our listeners are never short on creative approaches to these problems. And last but certainly not least, a short but potent note of encouragement from Sherelle, who writes, I've listened to your podcast for a year now, and like so many other listeners, it has become a go-to for me. I'm so excited to hear that you all are going independent and wanted to send a huge congrats to you both for this next move. I can imagine that it's a thrilling new challenge, and I want you to know that your listeners will be supporting you along the way. Happy holidays, Sherelle. Well, happy holidays to, to you also from, from Dan and Lizzie. Thank you so much for that boat of confidence. We do so much appreciate it. This is Sally Moog, and I've had the pleasure of finding sponsors for the Awesometica podcast over the last couple of years. Lizzie and Dan, I have to say you have been just a joy to work with. Your enthusiasm and excitement with the new sponsors and the way you conveyed their message was just dynamite. Sadly, it comes to the point where we've got to say goodbye, and I just want to say thank you to both of you for your one-on-one -on -one advice and for your professionalism and all that we've done together. I'm really going to miss you guys. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Time for our postscript where we do a slightly deeper dive on a particular area or topic of etiquette. And today's postscript, we're going to mine out of some very immediate experience here. <laughs> and this is something that Lizzie Post has noticed recently. This is, and this is so oftentimes in our lives, Dan and I are in the morning, I'm on the couch in your office, and we're talking about our personal lives. And and yours focuses very much on, on puja and the baby coming and the new house and all, all these wonderful things. And mine often is interesting adventures in the world of dating. <laughs> and, um, one of the really fascinating things that I have just kind of clued in on in the past month is that I'm starting to hear a trend of communication conundrums, we'll say. And I'm going to call it an evolution in communication etiquette. Okay, perhaps, thank you. In our role as social barometers here at the Institute, as we notice things coming into and out of fashion. I think this is something that you've noticed in your personal life. And, and in the personal lives of some of my friends. And that's why I was starting to think this might be a trend, but I'm a little curious. So I also want to invite that as we talk about this, please send us your feedback, send us your stories, tell us what you're experiencing. But I am experiencing in the dating world, a desire to not get too familiar too quickly when it comes to your texting. And that you might meet somebody out, let's say, and you might exchange numbers. And then the question is, is he or she going to text or call to get in touch to then get together to get to know each other? And as texting became really prevalent in our world, along with online dating, we got very comfortable with a lot of electronic communication very quickly or upfront in, in these kind of brand spanking new acquaintanceships that might turn into relationships. And I think people were excited. It was like, oh, my gosh, he texted. Oh, my gosh, she texted back. Ooh, she texted a winky face. Oh, he texted a this. And you, you kind of build this momentum and this excitement. And then you're actually getting together in person, which then, you know, confirms or maybe doesn't um, that momentum and that excitement. And what I've noticed is that friends of mine, both male and female, are getting more uncomfortable with a lot of electronic communication early in a relationship. For instance, I was hearing things like, well, yeah, we set up that we were going to have a date on Wednesday night, but then he texted me like three times a day, every day leading up to that. And I'm just sitting here going, dude, I don't know you well enough to have you send me a picture of such and such or to send you and not just so you know, not the not those kinds of pictures um, like, you know, benign ones like, hey, I'm out for a walk with the dog. But the dinner I just cooked. Yeah, so. things like that. And it just started to become like too much. And 
it was interesting to hear a bunch of girlfriends and guy friends starting to say, no, I've set the date that we're going to get together. Let's get to know each other in person. I personally have been experiencing this from the idea of I don't love the fact that when I'm communicating with someone electronically all the time through text on a screen, I know, because Dan and I talk about this all the time, that I am putting my own filter on everything that this other person is saying. That when they make a joke, I'm interpreting the actual tone of their voice and the level of jokingness that they're using. And I'm interpreting, you know, whether they're saying something sincerely or something. And it's it's so much my filter on this person that I've created this whole mini expectation of who they are in my head just because I'm constantly interacting with them in a medium that causes me to have to fill in some blanks. I have gotten to a point where I just want to meet you in person. Let's nix all the text game. Let's use texting as logistics, like a quick hello. Maybe a, it was so nice to meet you. Let's set up that time to meet in person and make that happen because, boy, I get to know so much more about you and the you that you choose to present to me based on that in-person interaction where I have your tone of voice, I have your facial expression, I have your body language, all of that. I've just, I'm floored by the difference between the two interactions. I, I'm so curious to hear you <laughs> suss this out. And, and it starts to inspire all kinds of different thoughts in my mind. I'm always wanting to extrapolate the larger uh, etiquette question or point from the particular circumstance or situation. And one of the things I'm sort of hearing here is that there's this very personal territory that comes with texting that in many ways it's almost like telepathy. It's like your thoughts are, <laughs> you know, you're having a thought somewhere and you just type it down. It appears somewhere else. It's absolutely amazing. And we carry these devices with us all the time. Time. And early on in a relationship, that can feel like a bit much. And that when you add in the extra layer of how potentially difficult it can be to interpret the written word early in a relationship, when you don't have lots of other information about someone to fill in around that interpretation or around that that very sparse and by definition limited communication, this this text language that's often truncated and quick and short, sometimes not even full sentences, that the potential for, for difficulty is right, but also that, that there's also a feeling of it being just a bit much, a bit too personal, a bit intrusive in some ways. Yeah. And No, I was just going to jump in and say, and there's room for it to be that too. Like there are those moments where you meet someone and you're totally gaga for them and they're totally gaga for you and every text is so exciting and you're so just on board with it. But those are, those connections don't happen every time in the dating world, obviously. And so some, when that hasn't been the case, then you're right, this familiarity becomes something that I almost want to protect. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not there yet. But it's almost like getting the kiss on a date too early or, you know, being asked up when you don't want to be asked up. You know, it's like it feels like too familiar. And I'll, I'll take it even outside the dating realm a yeah. little bit. We hear about this in professional context and circumstances. All the time. Uh, bosses that have relationships with employees where all of a sudden they're getting a text that, that felt normal at 5.30 in the afternoon, but now it arrived at 9.30 at night and maybe it starts to feel too familiar. And where is that line of familiarity? At what stage are you starting to insert yourself into places and situations where you're not as welcome? Uh, over the weekends, on holidays, later in the evening, early in the morning, that, that text communication is potentially more personal territory and how quickly you step into it is a real question when I'm traveling for business and I'm going to be out of the office and I'm giving out my phone number, I will often say to my contact in the city I'm landing in, I use texting, feel free to text me once I'm on the road because I want people to know that that's, that's welcome, that's invited. In fact, it's useful for me when I'm in and out of airports that that's the best way to reach me. It's, it's setting the expectations. And I love that. But you just brought up something that I think expands this conversation. So you brought it to business world, but you mentioned holidays. So the second place where I have seen this crop up was we just went through a whole bunch of end-of-the-year holidays, and I was floored that this year my phone was really quiet, and I really liked that. I didn't get 50 different Merry Christmas, Happy New Year type, you know, that's what I celebrate, holiday messages, and I was my best girlfriends and I didn't text or call each other 
on the holiday. And I was glad for it. I found relief in it. I found like I got to be with my family and be private on that holiday. And it was something I liked. And I got together with a girlfriend a couple days after and she was saying, oh, my gosh, it was the best thing. It was less messages, less messages. So I'm just wondering if this is a trend that you all are seeing. I would love for you in the dating world, in the business world, and in your family and friendships, how is texting a part of your life? How are these electronic communications a part of your life? How familiar do they feel? How formal do you want them to be? How much do you want them to be about logistics? How much do you want them to be about sharing all these little points? Like Dan said, that magic moment of like technological ESP almost. It's so cool. What is the kind of social temperature of the texting game these days. And have we reached that moment where the pendulum is starting to swing back, where the expectation was for parents to learn how to text so they could communicate with their teens? And if you wanted to enter the dating world, you had to get your texting game into shape. Have we reached that point where the pendulum is starting to swing back, where maybe we're hoping for a social expectation that involves a little less immediacy in the texting medium, and maybe we're ready for a few more in-person interactions or discussions over the phone. To be continued, we really hope that this postscript goes on and that this is a discussion we're able to develop over the coming year. Well, this is this is kind of a big show in, in some ways, and we wanted to recognize that as our last show with the APM guys and connecting to Minnesota Public Radio. We wanted to bring back a familiar voice to those of you who've been with us the whole way. Mr. Hans Buto is here to, to, to say goodbye. I don't really want to say that. I don't like that. <laughs> no, and, and we've said goodbye before. In some ways, this is a hello again. <laughs> yes, and, well put. <laughs> and, a, and a congratulations, because when we said goodbye to Hans the first time, he was moving on to another show that has gone very well. And Hans, we're hoping that you will um, give us a, a, another goodbye message, but also tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. We want updates. <laughs> um, well, first, hello, guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome Hi. back. It's lovely to hear your voices. I mean, I hear your voices all the time, but it's lovely to, like, talk to your voices. <laughs> um, and hello, everybody. Uh, it's it's lovely to be here again, back in Studio 3A with, with Chris. Yay! Um, yeah, I, I've been off the last few months working on a new show. It's called Terrible Thanks for Asking, and it is um, trying to get people to be honest to the question of how are you. Um, because so often we are not. So it's um, filled with emotions, but also um, humor. Uh, we have a wonderful host, Nora McInerney, who just is very funny about very difficult things. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to work on, and it's been really very interesting. I've learned a ton, um, and it's just been a real thrill. Well, Hans, it's so nice of you to, to stop by, because we so enjoyed working with you. You really were a big part of of us getting used to this whole medium, this podcasting thing, and uh, we certainly appreciate it. And it it is. It's really nice to hear your voice and, and to welcome you back to the studio. Well, I sure appreciate the chance to work with you guys. I mean, I this show was really important to me, and it was so fun to do and working with you guys. And, you know, the things that the audience didn't really get to hear, uh, you know, all the phone calls, um, the working on scripts, the, the working through problems and all that stuff. You all were such amazing partners in getting all of that in just a respectful and creative <laughs> and, you know, interesting way. And it was just so fun because, you know, one of us would come to the table with something, oh, you know what we should do? And then... <laughs> That's exactly what it would yeah, and then like. <laughs> and then it would happen. And then we'd figure out a way to work on it. And it would be just so much fun to... it. Just having that partnership was really, really fun. And it's been really fun to watch you seeing the new iteration and what you guys are going to be able to do now and it's just I'm really thrilled it's really exciting and I'm going to be listening and paying attention <laughs> <laughs> sending us questions to sending back. questions <laughs> you will get lots of questions from me Good. lots of like hey how do I uh, yeah, it's going to be really exciting, and I'm really, really excited for you guys. Well, well, that makes three of us, Hans. We were also thrilled with where the show started and where it's continued to grow to, yeah. and we, we so look forward to continuing that process. Yeah, and and I will second my cousin's notions that in, in so many ways, Hans, you will just forever be such a huge part of our world and the EPI world mm. for for working with us the first two years on the show yeah. and it and really teaching us kind of how to podcast and learn how to podcast together and it really um, 
you're one of those figures that kind of go down in our career history. And it's, it's so wonderful. I also will never be able to look at bananas and, and the same after having learned from your wife that yeah. the smell truly bothered. I mean, it's, there's little things like that where it's like you're like, oh, that person is a part of your daily mental monologue. Hans <laughs> knew the Pokemon theme song from I, the Hans 1990s. Hans knew the Pokemon theme song and found it. Like, so That's many true. little things like that That's that true. crop up. <laughs> oh, likewise. And you guys have taught me so much. And, you know, one last thing that I would love to say yeah. is that um, I have really missed in the last couple of months um, the Awesome Etiquette audience. Um, I used oh. to have so much interaction through the show and people, you know, calling and leaving messages. And I, you know, I really miss getting that constant, like the Awesome Etiquette audience is searching um, and questioning and looking and trying to figure out how to be better in the world and that was it's just such a great energy and so you know good job audience you guys are amazing and keep at it and keep sending everything in and make sure that we get to hear as much as possible because i really do miss that interaction and um it's fun to hear on the show but it was really cool to talk to people too well, you were a big part of putting it in place, and we sure do appreciate it. <laughs> and we, of course, will continue to stay connected. And hopefully, maybe we can even coax you to leave a voicemail every now and again for some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be pleased to. I have lots of questions. So. And for those of you that have enjoyed Hans's production ear as much as we did early on, please do continue to check out. What's the name of that show again, Hans? Terrible Thanks for Asking. So we will not say goodbye. We will say until next time. Until next time. Indeed. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. That's what good manners do. They make everyone feel at ease. Every week, we like to end the show with a salute to good etiquette that has made a difference out there in the world, whether this is a stranger or your closest loved one. Um, we love the fact that you, our audience, uh, honor and want to encourage good etiquette in the world. So it is time for our etiquette salute. And Dan and I would like to start the salute section of this show with a huge, huge awesome etiquette salute to our producer, Chris Roberts who has been with us since this summer when we transitioned right around our 100th episode, has done a phenomenal job reaching out to you and getting your feedback and salutes and encouraging us and keeping the life of this show alive. Chris, thank you. Gosh, that means so much to me, Lizzie. I really appreciate it. First of all, you and Dan are just exquisitely talented hosts, and I've been able to watch you kind of up close, even though I'm a few miles away. <laughs> and I've been so impressed with the attention and enthusiasm and passion you show every single listener who has a question or anybody who has a question about etiquette. And I think that's the reason that our audience is so passionately devoted to the show. And speaking of the audience, I have connected with them as well. And I'm so touched by their questions and their desire to make a difference with honesty and consideration and respect and kindness. And I'm so bullish about the future of this show. And I'll tell you why. Every time I've mentioned that I work on awesome etiquette to somebody, they always say, wow, we need more of that in the world. And it's true. We do need more of it. And I think collectively, as human beings, we're realizing that. And I think as the show uh, takes its step toward independence, you're going to be positioned so well to meet this need that's out there and to be our guides. And I've just been so happy to be a part of it. And I want to wish you the very, very best. Thank you, Chris. And I will add my voice to my cousin's thank you and a hearty etiquette salute to you. We could tell from the start that you were 
um, committed to the vision for this show of, of a place where uh, people can be positive and careful and thoughtful with each other. And that is uh, the, the most important thing to us. And it was clearly the most important thing to you. And you have been a steward for that that mission, that goal for the show. And you've been a big part of it. And the show will be forever grateful for you, the role you've played. You'll always be a part of it and you will always be welcome back. We hope that you will show up again and again as time goes on. It is my fondest hope that I can return to the show at some point. I'm certainly going to be listening in the future, and I might even send a question or two, and who knows, <laughs> maybe I'll make a trip out to Vermont. If I'm ever in your neighborhood, I am going to look you guys up. You better. You, you, know you most definitely better. That is a very open <laughs> invitation, dear friend. That is a very open invitation. Well, we are very glad that this is not goodbye. This is see you later. And Chris, I would love to invite you to take us out with one last awesome etiquette salute. Well, We do, as you have said repeatedly, we end the show every week with a salute to etiquette that has made a huge difference in people's lives. And sometimes it's a grand gesture. Uh, But as this next salute demonstrates, it can also be something as small and simple as just a few words. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name's Amanda, and I'm calling with an etiquette salute for a stranger who offered me a kind word a few weeks ago when, uh, when I needed some reassurance. I was coming out of my doctor's office in the city, and I had had a procedure that made me feel pretty nauseous. And before I knew it, before I could get to a garbage can or a bathroom, um, I got sick right there on the sidewalk. And of course, I was incredibly embarrassed. Nobody wants to throw up in front of anyone else, much less strangers. And when I finished, a little crowd had gathered and I I looked up at them and I apologized. And everyone was silent except one woman who piped up and said, Oh, honey, you just focus on feeling better. And that was really the word of reassurance that I needed, that I didn't have to worry about others at that moment and that I should really be taking care of myself. And it was so kind and warm and genuine. And it was what I needed at that moment. So um, kudos to her and kudos to you guys for the show. I love your work. Thanks. Thank you, Amanda, for that reminder. We, we all need a little absolution in our life every once in a while. And it's so nice that someone was there to offer it to you in a moment when you needed it. And uh, thank you to you for reminding all of us that it's out there for us and that it's worth sharing. The kindness of strangers is a real thing. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. For now, you can reach us on our phone number, 802-866-0860. But do be on the lookout. We're going to get you a new number really soon. And you can find out all about the new show if you follow us on Twitter. I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And help us out, as we said at the start of the show. Look for our new icon on iTunes. Please feel free to uh, resubscribe and send us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. And our show is produced by the excellent Chris Roberts. 